You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 371. I'm your host, Andres Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Heysen, heysen! Andras! It looks yes. like you're back in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Ah. Uh, for now, that is. Um, but I'm sure it's I'll, just a temporary thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't even have a week to spend here, wow. here at home. Uh, and I'm going back to Malaysia and Singapore. So three tours of the same kind, one after the other. So it's... Uh, wow. Mm. And it's boiling hot there. I don't want to go back there. It's really hot. <laughs> Well, you probably remember me being very particular about the the, the temperature because I, I cannot bear the heat. And uh, that's where they're sending me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, But other than that, I... I well, at least you have a job. That's good. Exactly. Exactly. Which cannot <laughs> be told about everyone. Um, <laughs> no. You have a job. You do a lot of work, Pontus. I do you? a lot of work. I do, do not get paid for most of it. So, ah, okay, <laughs> so. that's good. If you can afford that, that is good. Uh, I mean, that's a big if. I yeah. couldn't. That's a big if. <laughs> so, people, go to Patreon.com/slash/esp yes. and send us all the money you have because <laughs> we need it. We are poor people who do this out of the goodness of our hearts, and um, we can use all the support we can get. <laughs> Seriously, yes. yeah. you should do. Sorry, that, I didn't mean to laugh. And <laughs> I, I was just, I was giggling about the good people with good hearts. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, that's just my opinion, of course. Yeah. No, everyone listening to this show are good people with good hearts. So yes, it's, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. More so, so than we are. That's yes. what I'm giggling about. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I feel really bad, and especially that now the new IPCC report is out. I should really find some other kind of job that doesn't entail that much traveling. I think it's all up to you, Andras. I think, not to put undue burden on your shoulders, but I think it's you (laughs) who's causing all the global warming in the world. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) That's correct. You are the reason. To be (laughs) frank, yeah. You are the reason. <clears throat> so um, I know I'm not responsible for the for climate change as one person, but the kind of lifestyle, the kind of things that I do for a living, taking people on tours for a living, and those people traveling just for fun. I mean, I know exactly that flights are not the greatest chunk of carbon dioxide emissions, but it's still something that should be really cut or at least kept to a minimum. Mm. But the moment someone can give me a job where I can fulfill all my needs for an audience and for <laughs> <laughs> for sharing information and I could get paid for it as even if it's not as much as I get paid as a tour guide, I would gladly accept that. So sure. uh, yeah. So Elon Musk, if you're listening, what we need is a Tesla plane so that you can continue with your crazy lifestyle and still feel a little bit better about the climate. Yeah, the the other thing that I've been thinking of, here in Hungary at least, us skeptics and everyone who is critical, especially towards the government, are being referred to as the Shorosh. Shoroshista. Mm. That's a word. Shoroshista. Okay, uh, we could use fine. it. We could use it as a word of the week. <laughs> <That's not laughs> right. right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that means of Soros, the one who benefits from the support of Shoros. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So. Wow. 
<laughs> and I thought the other day that now that everyone thinks so, he might as well just give us some money and let <laughs> us do stuff, right? But yeah, not really, not really. Like big farmers paying us, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He should just like, pay his followers. <laughs> Because that's what you do. You pay your followers. They're not following you for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so the IPCC report is that, and, and there's nothing new, really. It's just so depressing that we are still making the same rounds, and especially when it comes to the, the political side of things. The science is more and more clear as we go on. And technologically speaking, we are not lacking any of the solutions. It, they are all there. It's just the lack of proper way of thinking on the decision-making part. It's not even so, the economy, I think. I think you would think so, no. can easily calculate that it's cheaper to fix the thing than to not yeah. fix the thing. And we're not yeah. fixing the thing. That's crazy. Exactly. Mm. And uh, most of it has to do with uh, people not thinking long-term. Mm. It's the short-term gains that uh, most people are after. I mean, not I shouldn't say most people, but a lot of decision makers are after. A lot of policies so, are very short term because of the yeah. political system that we have. You want to win the next election. You don't need to talk about things that's going to happen on 20 years or 10 years even. So um, you take short-sighted decisions because that appeals to people and then you come into power. And it's not that, not for ranting, <laughs> it's not that all politicians are corrupt. It's just that the politicians that have a very long-term view, they don't appeal to the voters. So they don't get elected. Yeah. Well, but there are those who do have the position and like, for example, uh, authoritarian regimes where there are no real chances of uh, them losing power. Uh, yeah. they, they could have that way of thinking, but it's not happening because uh, they are preoccupied with just... Uh, well, waging wars against rich. neighboring <laughs> countries. Exactly. Like Putin exactly. does. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, right. are we too hard on them? We tend to be too hard on people, right? On people... <laughs> I think some things we should be harder on, actually. Not that everybody always agree, but we got some feedback via Facebook from a listener, uh, a nurse, actually. She contacted us uh, regarding last week's acupuncture item. So I'm not quite sure, but I think she felt that we were a little bit too hard on, on acupuncture. Uh, but her message was a little bit mixed. But anyway, she pointed out that uh, you don't have to push needles very far into the body to puncture a lung. We talked about centimeters last week, and that was apparently incorrect. And mm -hmm. I, I, well, I accept that. I'm, sh I'm sure she's correct in that. She says you have to be very aware of human anatomy to do acupuncture. And if you do that, she says, if you are aware, she said the procedure is not very dangerous in itself if you know what you're doing. She also said puncturing a lung is rare, but I think still our position... As we pointed out. Yeah, we, we pointed it out, but it, <laughs> I, I, I still think our position stands because even a small risk is too high when you cannot demonstrate a benefit. And yes, there is no clear benefit out of um, acupuncture. Maybe, maybe a little bit when it comes to pain relief, but even that is very doubtful. Mm. Even if you only go like, I don't know, a few millimeters in, then like, for example, I had gestational diabetes, I had to use a needle on myself because I had to inject insulin. 
but I was just told like you can go there, 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 and yeah, there on your body for that, and you very likely won't hit anything. And hmm. if you do that with acupuncture too, like without insulin, of course, without medical reason, go for it. Whatever. Uh, the only thing that might be harmed is your the upper layer of your skin and your wallet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think she's right in the regard of that. You have to be aware of human anatomy. But the fact that someone managed to puncture a lung meant that they might maybe not have been aware of human Probably anatomy. Probably not, no. And then it's harmful if you're not aware of human right. anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two more things there, actually. One is that even if you puncture the skin, even if it's very, very shallow, what you do is you puncture one of the most important parts of our immune system. Mm -hmm. Because the skin is there to keep things out. And everybody tells you that if you look, if you Google pictures on acupuncture, maybe one picture in 10 shows the practitioner using gloves. Yeah. They don't seem to have any concept of germs to be mm -hmm. yeah. And they don't necessarily clean the surface of the skin either before they start pushing in the needles, no. which means that they could potentially move germs inside so it's the first sign of defense already breached. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So that goes to the other point. We didn't explicitly say so last week, but there's very little regulation in most countries when it comes to acupuncture and being an acupuncturist. I don't know if that, that's not the word, but you know what I mean. So any amateur can happily set up their own acupuncture place and start punching needles into people. So I think, in conclusion, you should still stay away from acupuncture because <laughs> it doesn't seem to be working. There's no regulation. You know, you can say you have to be, a, if you're a well-trained person delivering acupuncture, that's also a sort of an oxymoron because what is well-trained? We don't even have a clear set of guidelines. What is good acupuncture? There is no data behind that. There's no science behind that. So everybody is free to invent their own version of acupuncture. I can tell you what good acupuncture is. Good <laughs> acupuncture is no acupuncture. Okay. <laughs> Very good. But I want to point out, I'm happy for the listener feedback. Yes, of yes, course. And, that and is please very true. keep them coming. We always <laughs> enjoy hearing from yeah. new people. Yeah. And yeah. especially if you disagree with us, I want you to write in. Because only by listening to criticism and also make reflecting on, on our mistakes, if we if we ever do, mista do mistakes. Um, I'm sure it happens it, a lot. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what my sarcasm tried to, try to say is like, <laughs> yes, like uh, do criticize us because reflecting is what makes us good skeptics. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. <laughs> yes. So, and if you want to meet skeptics that you can criticize, where should you go, Annika? Well, I've got an idea. <laughs> 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 you can go to Frankfurt on the 18th to 20th of May. And what's happening there? Well, of course, Skepcon. Skepcon 2023. <laughs> So that's the big German skeptical yes. meeting of the year, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about really cool presentations and talks there. There's a skeptical again on the on the Thursday, on the 18th, which is about yeah skepticism in itself, but it's a shorter format than the presentations on the Friday and the Saturday. And then we have other cool topics like um, cultural appropriation, for example, which is very interesting on the skeptical angle. 
Mm-hmm. Or magic, of course. <laughs> like, I'm just looking at the program and uh, conspiracy theories and in the family or theorists in the family will also be very important and interesting. So I'm looking forward to Skepcon and I'm happy for everyone I see there. So... Don't hesitate. Mm. Book your tickets. <laughs> You're probably too modest to mention this, Annika, but I can see, but I can see your name <laughs> in the program here. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what are you going to talk about? I'm actually taking my talk from Australia and um, improving it and furthering it uh, a bit more with more information and talk about skeptical motherhood. Ah, oh, very mm, good. Very nice. Good. It was good the first time I heard it. I'm mm-hmm. sure it will be even mm-hmm. better this yeah, time. It's, it's just a second edition. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's only that it's going to be in German, so you wouldn't understand it. So oh, uh, from that point of view, it's worse. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I understand, Pontus, that in Sweden, students don't have to go to events like that to meet skeptics. That's right. We come to you. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, that's a good service. <laughs> no, that's good. Because uh, this Monday... I was invited to a day of religion, quote unquote, Mm. at a secondary school. Of course, I don't represent any religion, so that's (laughs) interesting. Uh, This was in a place called Trollhättan. It's just north of Gothenburg. It was a full day event with representatives of most of the major religions and also a representative from the humanists and me, as I said, not representing any religion at all. So there was a priest from the Swedish church, there was a Sikh, there was a Protestant nun, believe it or not. Did you know that the Protestants have nuns? I have heard of none. <laughs> You've heard <laughs> of, of none, those. okay. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. She was wielding a big cross wherever she went. She looks like she's probably, uh, well, I, I would say she's certainly above 70, but with the cross, she was sort of armed, so I kept my distance. Mm-hmm. Yes, was... you should. <laughs> you don't want to ex- get exercised. <laughs> no, no, exactly. There, there was a also a Muslim feminist, very interesting, mm, two nice. Hindus representing the Hindu religion, as well as a Tibetan Buddhist who has never been to Tibet which is <laughs> sort of interesting. Uh, so the thing was, in the morning, it was there were smaller presentations in several classrooms with the students going from room to room to listen to us speakers. I delivered one talk. And in the afternoon, there was a panel in the big auditorium there for further discussions and questions. And it, I must say, it's always very, very interesting to go out and meet students. And these are students, in this case, between 16 to 18, about. about mm-hmm. So secondary school. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually my favorite uh, age of student because they are sort of grown-ups, mm-hmm. but they have zero experience of living. So they're very, <laughs> very uh, curious. They have very good questions Mm-hmm. They, they want to know and they are not afraid to question me mm-hmm. or the, the speakers. So you often get a very interesting dialogue going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also like a function of their minds are very awake, so to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're also self-confident enough to actually ask the questions. Because yeah. I know that from um, when you teach like seventh or eighth graders or like younger kids, they're, they're usually also very curious, but they have to really trust you and know you to actually ask difficult questions. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good age. If you're saying that, that means that in your system, in your your country, the system must be such that they are encouraged to ask questions in the end. But it's not necessarily the case with Hungarian students, unfortunately. Mm, 
yeah. So, uh, no, we're democratic. <laughs> yeah, so this is why I was really happy when a former student of mine found me with a request, a very interesting request. She joined a club that is called Science Chicks here in Hungary. Oh, and cool. it is a group of uh, like a, a 15 or 20 very talented young girls, 16 to 25 uh, years of age, I think, who are interested in science. And there is an incentive program where they meet women in different fields of STEM. Mm -hmm. And then she finds me <laughs> to give them a talk. <laughs> really? Andras, very important question here. Did you lie on your Tinder profile again? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually did ask her the question. That, you know, you just gave me a list of speakers that you've had so far and you plan to have. All of them are women. How do I fit in the picture? And she <laughs> says that the thing is that they don't know anyone else from the country. And she knows that I'm very enthusiastic about the topic of pseudoscience and science and how to distinguish between the two. And she says that, oh, we, we're going to be fine making an exception with you. Oh, so that's very I'm, flattering. <laughs> very good. Yeah. When is this going to happen then? Uh, actually, in a couple of days, Ooh. when I'm in Malaysia. So praise be to the opportunities to give online talks. Wow. It's going to be and like a, in the middle of the night for me, but uh, it's worth doing, definitely worth doing it. All kinds of outreach is very, very good and very re rewarding and very fun to do as well. But we should do it more than we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I really appreciate them thinking of including the question of science and pseudoscience in that kind of curriculum that they have for that program because uh, it's important i think there is still hope exactly all right but what's also important is to provide our listeners with a structured somewhat structured show right <laughs> <laughs> the first part of which is usually this week in skeptical history also known as twish and This week, we have a birthday boy again. A mm. boy. Look at me. I'm, I, I was just talking about science chicks and how, how important that is. And now I'm talking about a boy again. <laughs> well, not so much a boy, but rather a man who lived up to the age of 75 in Germany. And uh, his name was Friedrich Karl Christian Ludwig Büchner, who Olé. was born... <laughs> Olé. Olé. <laughs> who was born on the 29th of March 1824 so uh, 90, well, 199 years ago as of the day of this recording and he was a, a philosopher and physiologist and a physician and he is also considered one of the fathers of German scientific materialism This is why he fits in this uh, kind of uh, segment. And he was born in Darmstadt. And we know that Darmstadt back then was one of the centers of free thought. And uh, the free thinkers actually were founded around that area as well. But he moved around quite a bit in Germany. So he studied medicine at the University of Gießen. And after graduation, he started writing a couple of essays on certain topics, but mostly he was a little bit irritated about the way of thinking, the theological interpretations that he came across at that time. From a very early age, he was quite convinced that nature was purely physical. 
with no purpose, no first mover whatsoever, nor any kind of will or supernatural being in an authority position or or any kind of that stuff. Sounds like one of them atheists, right? Exactly. (laughs) He was considered one of the one of the atheists as well. And he was one of the earliest adapters of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution in Germany. So he did write a couple of books as well. So even within a couple of years of the publication of The Origin of Species, he already published German material on the matter. And even though he was supporting Darwin's ideas in terms of um, phenomena in human societies as well, also he really campaigned for a much more socially active position for the government. So he advocated for for the government taking action to provide a greater equality within society. So he was not the kind of social Darwinist that many people became after the Darwinian theory started Mm. to gain ground. In that way, he was not only a materialist, but he he could also be considered one of the secular humanists of the time. And his magnum opus, The Greatest Work, was written in Tübingen, where he became a lecturer in medicine at the University of Tübingen. The title of that work was Kraft und Stoff, Empirisch Naturphilosophische Studien, wow. or something to What do you say, Annika? Is that okay? <laughs> Kraft und Stoff. Of course. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that, was, that sounds very good. <laughs> Kraft und Stoff, Force and Matter. So he, was, he wasn't very particular when it came to the details, and he was not, scientifically speaking, he was not very accurate and thorough in his arguments when it came to the dealings with force and matter. He wasn't always on the spot with his arguments, but he still advocated for science being the defining kind of system for how we think about the universe and how the world works. But unfortunately, that work of his got him into trouble. So when he founded one of the, he was one of the founding members of the Freies Deutsches Hochstift as well, Free German Foundation. He got into trouble for his works and he had to leave and he got back to Darmstadt where he took on position as a physician, as a local physician. But he was contributing a lot to pathology, physiology, and and all that while being very successful at popularizing science. So uh, yes, that was Ludwig Büchner. And uh, Darmstadt, the place where he lived and where he was born, is now very famous for us visiting the place a couple of years <laughs> back with uh, Susan Gerbic because there is where you can find the European Space Operation Center of the European Space Agency. So ESOC is what it's called, that is under the, the aegis of, of ESA. And by the way, for those of our listeners who are very lab work inclined and who are who find their, their way around a laboratory, they might know about something that's called the Büchner flask. Uh-huh. That's some sort uh, of a uh, bottle thing. Yes, it's a glass thing, and it's basically an Alamaya flask with a bit of a twist mm-hmm. that it can generate suction. That was named after Ernst Büchner, who was the inventor, and he was uh, Ludwig Büchner's nephew. Oh. And his brother was Georg Büchner, a playwright. 
So it was quite smart family. Yeah, it's a quite a smart family, and um, he was an advocate for women's rights as well. Well, with the exception of uh, suffrage, but <laughs> that, well, obviously that was, but that was taken care of by his sister. Elizabeth mm-hmm. Emma Louise Buchner. Ah, so she was a suffragette. Yes, and she was a women's <laughs> right advocate cool. as well. <laughs> good so for her. very good family, very good family. Mm-hmm. I had to read the books of Georg Büchner in, in school. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You did? And I was a student, yeah, yeah. There you go. Wow, okay, I had to cool. read Danton's Tort. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So he's still known. <laughs> not, not that much his, his scientific brother. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And um, he's led a very interesting life. And, uh, well, his thought really gained ground as one of the fathers of the free thinkers as well. So, Friedrich Karl Christian Ludwig Büchner, born on the 29th of March, 1824. Happy birthday. There you go. Okay. So, talking about stuff like materialism and atheism, it just brings about the question of whether you have something to poke the Pope for, Pontus. Yes, I do. It's been a couple of weeks, so I I thought it was time to have a look at what Frankie's up to. A few episodes ago, I commented on the fact that Pope Frankie really struggles with not having too much formal authority. In the Vatican, yes, there his word is law, but internationally, the situation is very different. He has tightened the control on who can appoint bishops. Nowadays, it's only the Pope, just like in the good old days. (laughs) He has issued quite a few so-called apostolic letters, but what can he really do if the rest of the world just don't follow them? Can he excommunicate people? It seems a bit harsh, but that's not the first thing you want to do, right? Because then you just kick them out of the church and he wants the church to grow. And he has no police to send out. Well, except the former Inquisition, of course, which is now called the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith. But even they are limited in what they can do because there's no international law to say that you need to obey what they say. So right now we see a perfect illustration of this regarding LGBTQ questions. On um, the one extreme, we have uh, certain countries in Africa. Earlier this month, the Ugandan parliament implemented some draconian anti-gay laws happily supported by local Catholic forces. Also, in the actual parliament, there's a strong Catholic force, I understand. And Uganda is about 40% Catholic. Under the new laws, they are called the Anti-Homosexuality Bill. You can see where this is going. They criminalize merely identifying as gay. So if you're saying that you're gay, that can give you a sentence of life in prison. The new law also creates a new crime of aggravated homosexuality, quote-unquote, which includes same-sex relations with a person over whom the offender has authority or anyone having same-sex relations with a disabled person. And there you have a death penalty. So I must say that that sounds like rape to me and should be punished. But um, death penalty for homosexual activities, even if they are coercive. I, I, I think rape is rape and should be punished. But um, why single out especially homosexuals? There is also the new thing called promotion of homosexuality, which is a crime now. And that includes if you provide facilities for same-sex relations. So if you have a hotel and you rent a room to two people of the same sex, you can get up to five years in jail. 
Because you're with that, you're promoting homosexuality or that, homosexual that, exa- acts. Yes, exactly. That's what mm. they, how they reason, if you can how call that reason. How ridiculous is that? So that's Uganda. In neighboring Kenya, the Catholic bishops there bitterly denounced a Supreme Court ruling in early March, allowing for the registration of pro-gay organization, uh, effectively overturning a legal ban on such groups. So to go back, you couldn't be a pro-gay organization before... Now the Supreme Court says you can, but the Catholic bishops are protesting. They had this to say uh, in a collective statement. They said, quote, We fault the determination of the Supreme Court of Kenya and declare it as an effort towards the promotion of LGBTQ plus ideology, which seeks to destroy life, end quote. So in both of these countries, the local bishops are outright ignoring Frankie, who has said several times that being gay should not be a crime. Mm. On the other hand, Frankie still claims that being gay is a sin, right? He hasn't taken that back. And this makes the German bishops just as insubordinate as the African bishops when they, against direct orders from Frankie and from the Vatican, have decided that starting in 2026, they will allow their priests to bless same-sex couples I should note that they are not allowed to marry same-sex couples, but they can bless people who are already married. And uh, so on the one hand, you have Africa where they are not following Frankie by persecuting, wanting to persecute gay people. And in Germany, they are too lenient and they want to bless same-sex marriages. So you can only picture Frankie. He is far away from both of these places. He sits in the smallest country in the world <laughs> as an old man at his desk trying to tell his flock all over the world what to do and they don't listen. Oh, that must feel terrible. Yeah. He needs some poking from time to time to wake up and then and, and start leading. Yes. That um, ancient and very outdated organization of his <laughs> out of the Middle Ages. Hmm. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that leads us to the news. Yes. And I want to talk about something. So listeners from Australia that were at our Skeptics in the Pub uh, meetings in Sydney or in Melbourne might remember the Reichsburger movement. Yeah, of course. I also talked about them on the show too. The Empire citizens, basically. <laughs> golden rice? Is that golden rice in the rice burger? Or is it a special ed- <laughs> Sorry. At least. It's, it's at least golden rice. It's the golden rice of a crown because they uh, want um, the empire back. The empire strikes uh, back. What mm. happened here is that a Reichsburger extremist was sentenced to 10 years in prison because he attempted a murder. And now you are wondering, might wonder, like, what happened? <laughs> Well, this citizen of the Reich, part of a right, far-right group, we all well know that probably, uh, so I won't go into detail, he was patrolled by the police because he was speeding, pretty much sped away from one, and then there was a second stop, and there he actually drove into a police officer. Wow. And yeah, exactly, and that's the attempted murder that I talked about, because this um, wow. policeman received serious head injuries, still not working, uh because of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And this guy, he didn't really care, you know. He went to a third stop. Like, he had to be stopped by a further patrol and only got 
stopped after the police had fired 25 shots at his car. Wow. And he's also one, he described um, police officers and as terrorists. So you can yeah. really see... So the police are the terrorists in this exactly. case. Exactly. Yeah, of course. He, he of course, thinks of course. That. And wow. he's also one, like, he wasn't someone with a clear and white uh, vest, as we say in German, because he also attacked a woman in 2021 because she didn't want to sell him alcohol as he was not wearing a medical mask, which was mandatory at that time in Germany. <laughs> Uh, and that reminds us, of course, of the Reichsburger in um, in Ida Oberstein, who shot someone who told him to wear a mask, a clerk. So yeah, that's a normal reaction, isn't uh, it? Of course, that's hmm. what all all like, Germans do. Of in course, in some groups, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, shoot you in the he, face. That really shows again that that Reichsburger are really not harmless. And this guy that he, yeah, he, he was convicted of attempted murder, bodily harm, resisting and attacking enforcement officials, and then still also leaving the scene of an accident and drunk driving. Hmm. That really shows us that, that like, yeah, the, the whole scene is not harmless. And it's still also a very actual and current topic in Germany. So much so that we actually talked about it in the second to last episode of the WTF talk. <laughs> so mm. we had two guests there and we talked about Reichsburgers, but that's of course in German. I'll put the link in the show notes, but um, it's only for for people who understand German. Yeah. The Arabs can also, of course, watch it or listen to it, but yeah, you won't get that much out of it if you don't yeah. speak German. So th this is the other, the other thing you're involved yes, yes. in, <laughs> except for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. Aha, uh -huh, okay. Russia has its problems as well. You don't really want to live uh, under Russian so-called quote-unquote law at the moment. <laughs> As skeptics, we That's are very sure. convinced that speaking up and free speech is absolutely critical and a basic human right, but Putin seems to disagree. So, to criticize the war against Ukraine, or even calling it a war, has been forbidden almost since day one. It has now come so far that a man was sentenced to two years in prison, not for something that he said himself, but because his daughter drew a picture at, in school. On this picture, which you can see online, there is a mother and a child near a Ukrainian flag. The words glory to Ukraine is also seen. Two rockets are flying and there's a Russian flag with the text no to war. So for his daughter to have drawn such a picture at school, he's now going to jail. His name is Alexei mm. Moskalev, and he has now found guilty of, quote, discrediting the military, end quote. Very cleverly, he did not show up in court to hear the verdict on that day when it ha was supposed to happen, <laughs> uh, but has now disappeared. His lawyer, a certain Vladimir Bilienko, said in a statement to the BBC, quote, To say I'm surprised would be an understatement. I've never seen anything like it. No client of mine has ever gone missing like this. I don't know when he fled or even if he has. End quote. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's a very good statement from a lawyer. I think he thought about that quite a lot before he said so. But we shouldn't forget the poor girl as well. She is called Masha. She is 13 years old. And she has now been put under the supervision of the social services in Russia. And I believe there are good reasons to be worried for what will happen to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Crazy. to be honest, I'm not sure if that guy disappeared. 
In Russia, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who immediately thinks of those poor souls who have disappeared or lost their lives in very weird circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, could it be that he disappeared because he wanted to flee jail? Or he disappeared because uh, it was easier to get rid of him that way. So I'm not sure, to be honest. (laughs) Maybe he was abducted by aliens. We don't know. Oh, could be. All right. Uh, But we won't find out until he shows up somewhere around the globe. But then it will be like an arrest warrant against, like an international arrest warrant against him. But we we do know that it's, in effect, against Putin as well, (laughs) as of now. More about that later, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so... I would like to bring the attention, everyone's attention to something that's happening in Portugal. And as of the release of this recording, it's going to be like a couple of hours left to do so. But you can actually vote on the nominees of the Flying Unicorn Prize, which is offered by Comcept, the skeptical community of Portugal. So yeah, these are very amazing guys there. Every year on the 1st of April, they hand out the Flying Unicorn Award. Of course, it's a flying unicorn because we all know that unicorns don't exist, let alone fly. But but we do know that they are farting rainbows. So. <laughs> yes, they do. are farting rainbows. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> as you do, as you do. <laughs> when, you're, when you're a flying unicorn. And there are four categories here. One of them is a falling star. That is for those people who are living in a limelight, either in television, just celebrities or artists or sports people who do something very silly and promote weird things, weird products. There are three nominees in each category. So there, there is the Graffanola part of the prize, which goes to media companies or news agents. Well, Netflix is one of them, the nominees for Ancient Apocalypse, one of our, our favorites hmm. done by uh, Graham Hancock, the pseudo documentary. Then there are two other channels. The Don Quixote Award goes to people who try to paddle theories and ideas that are completely alien from anything that that is considered normal and real and they have no connection whatsoever to reality and completely indefensible in scientific terms and the fourth is the king goes naked for everyone who contribute to the spreading of any kind of claims or allegations without any kind of evidence. So those are the four categories and you can still vote until the end of the 31st of March and on the next day, on the 1st of April, the day of All Fool's Day or April's Fool, it will be announced who the winners of the different categories for the Flying Unicorn Prize are. So check it out. Awesome. Mm. Yeah, and something you should definitely check out is a new book that is out by Edzard Ernst. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's in German. So he's like, oh yeah, I'm writing in German again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Vorsicht Heilpraktika, which translates to caution, healing practitioner, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is very um, fitting. He just 
gives you a bit of an overview of, yeah, if you fall ill in Germany, you have the choice to go to a doctor or to a non-medical practitioner. Um, and in Germany, we call that a Heilpraktiker. The doctor, of course, has studied, is licensed to practice medicine, whereas the Heilpraktiker has passed an official medical examination and is state-recognized. And negatively, he said, and I quote, the doctor is usually in a hurry, the Heilpraktiker takes his time and empathizes with his patient. The doctor usually prescribes a drug burdened with side effects, the Heilpraktiker prefers the gentle methods of alternative medicine, end quote. But mm. <laughs> he wouldn't be Edzard Ernst if he would leave it at that. <laughs> Because he says, yes, Heilpraktiker are recognized, but this state recognition is pretty problematic. As I said, the government recognition, you think they are trained and medically competent, but the training that they receive is not regulated. And you basically can have almost no competence and you can call yourself Heilpraktiker. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it doesn't compare to 10 years of working and studying with a medical degree. Sometimes they even diagnose uh, out of their own imagination. That's exactly what, what's happening at times there. Yeah, diagnosis can be pure nonsense. They sometimes don't even know the human anatomy. And that's something we talked about, of course, in the in the beginning. Exactly. And according to Edward Ernst, and I agree with him, chiropractica are a danger to anyone who is seriously ill. Yes, in the best case, if you're not sick, they might only like hurt your wallet. But if you are not well, then Heilpraktiker can actually really fuck things up. Hmm. So this book is amazing and good. Uh, I didn't read it yet, but I can say already that it's amazing because uh, it's at Ernst wrote it. Everything he does is <laughs> exactly. amazing. Yes. It's like it's like in this fairy tale where everything the goose touches turns into gold. It's like what he writes is gold. <laughs> it's exactly. really it's really good. And I actually read something in the comments that I made me also made me giggle um, because someone commented it's interesting that other professions like plumbers, electricians, pilots have a much, much higher certification than Heilpraktika. And they said And I quote, I can only assume that the human body must be a much simpler system than, for example, a domestic central heating system, end quote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's a very good point, very fitting. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed. So, yeah, speaking of uh, things that the government allows, we do know that, unfortunately, in the European Union, there are very strict restrictions regarding the propagation of uh, genetically modified organisms, let it be crops or, well, especially animals. Um, but since the UK left the European Union, they have been moving towards a much more open attitude when it comes to genetic uh, technologies. Well, since the regulations are different in parts of the United Kingdom, the current Genetic Technology Act that has been voted into law on the 23rd of March is only referring to the regulations in England. But that means that they will from now on 
opened the doors to gene editing technologies. And we have to make a distinction here because gene editing and genetic genetically modified are two different things mm. from at least the regulation point of view, but also from a scientific point of view. And it has to do with the methods that they use. Gene editing is a much more precise kind of editing that is so-called site-specific when it comes to the locations of certain genes in the genome. You are capable of changing, inserting, deleting, modifying, or even replacing certain genes with the variants that you want that organism to have, as opposed to the variant that it usually originally had. Instead of classical or earlier genetic modification techniques, it doesn't insert something randomly in a way, because some of the early techniques were quite random in that that regard. So that means that not all genetically modified organisms will be allowed on the markets or on the food market especially, but some will. And that still means that a lot of the different crops that can be used with much less pesticide use or some of the crops that can be modified to withstand the larger changes that come about as a result of global climate change, for example, and can have a much better yield. These are very important changes. And this is something that could be an example for the European Union as well. But we have to bear in mind that it still doesn't mean that classical genetic modification will be allowed in the United Kingdom. So the doors still remain closed on that part of it, but it might be just a matter of time. And uh, it's restricted to England, but we'll see how it moves on and it starts rolling, probably taking on more ground as um, as, as it progresses. But uh, we have talked about this when it first came up, but now it has been passed into law. And mm. that's, that's the important part. Interesting development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It Mm -hmm. is. And a welcome development as well. (laughs) Can I interest you in another story about Putin? Always. Anytime. Always. Uh, Pontus Pogs the Putin. <laughs> are we talking about the Quebecois street food? or No, or it's, no, uh, it's, no, it's, no. It's that's the... Putin. That's Putin, oh. I think. I don't know how it's pronounced. No, it's Putin, actually. But yeah, but, yeah this, is hard, this is hard to cook, if you will. <laughs> yeah. All right. So when Vladimir Putin made his surprise visit to Crimea and Mariupol on 18th to 19th of March, there was a new rumor that came forward and i believe it's been around for a while but it really became famous now we've heard uh, about putin of course before rumors like that he has cancer or mental problems or whatever this time probably because the chips he made seemed so dangerous the theory was that it wasn't him at all instead people claim putin has a whole stable of body doubles surgically <laughs> altered to look exactly like him and he can send them on his trips or the trips that he doesn't want to take his, uh, by himself trips that would be too dangerous to make for him it's also easy to combine this rumor with the rumors that he's sick because then he can use his body doubles when he is too ill to take part himself 
people online are now competing in trying to find the smallest differences on footage of Putin to determine whether it is really him or not. Especially <laughs> the ears is an area of interest. Apparently his ears look different on different pictures and also maybe his nose or hairline. Now, of course, we have no idea where the limits are for what Putin can, can come <laughs> up with. But having a handful or even a dozen of body doubles is not a small task to pull off. <laughs> also, I'm thinking, how practical is it really? There's a lot of potential problems with this, even if we say that it is possible. What if one of them goes rogue and starts to give orders in Putin's oh, name? Yeah. How would the real Putin be able to deal with that without exposing the whole deal? Or if he doesn't expose it, he will look like an idiot when he starts contradicting himself. And then, even worse, let's say that he sent one of his doubles to appear in public in a dangerous place, like he did in Crimea or uh, Mariupol. And then the double gets killed. That would be just catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, well, well <laughs> then, then Putin is suddenly dead, except it is, he isn't. And then he will be perceived as an imposter coming back, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, popping up here and there again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, of course, do not know anything about the facts behind this. But exciting as it may seem, I don't think it's very practical or even useful nee. for him to have a lot of body doubles running around. On the contrary, it would be a very bad idea. Probably not, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of Putin. No, I'll, I'll have some Putin when I'm going back to Canada this year, but, uh, mm. but not that kind. So... It's time for us to find out who's been really wrong, apart from Putin, of course. <laughs> yes. And first, I have to um, apologize because this is not a European, but hey, people outside from Europe can also be wrong, right? Indeed. <laughs> and because this has been discussed globally, I thought it it's still worth mentioning. I'm, of course, talking about Gwyneth Paltrow. Hang on, she is Welsh, isn't she? Is she? I think she's Welsh. <laughs> With a name like that, I, Gwyneth. I, I think Welsh. she's American. I actually American. just Googled and she's American. Like, I Googled before I actually said it. <laughs> okay, I seem to be misinformed. Um, yeah, the good thing is this time uh, no vaginas except for Gwyneth's own is involved. <laughs> so it's not about <laughs> eggs or um, steaming or anything. But uh, what what he happened here is that she talked uh, on a podcast called The Art of Being Well, and she shared what she eats in a in a typical day. And I'll just give a little rundown of what she eats. So she eats nothing until noon. Then she has some bone broth and coffee. Then she Yummy. exercises for an hour, and then she has an early dinner, mostly vegetables because she wants to detox. <laughs> the article I read actually said like you can't detox if there was never any tox in the first place <laughs> that's a good observation A yeah. and B as we all know you don't need like the only thing you need to detox your body is a liver and an immune system you don't need to drink detox teas or juice cures and whatever um, it's like your body is as amazing as they come. Uh, it will already detox for you. And, and if it can't, then you're like poisoned. You know, that's 
um, you don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, let's not get into that too much. But she, of course, then was out called for her unhealthy, restrictive eating and for also pushing this these dieting habits on her kids. And she said, hey, I had high levels of inflammation after long COVID and something she said shouldn't be taken as generalized health advice. Yes, of course, we know that she's not a doctor. Like we always also say, like, don't take medical advice from our podcast. The problem is if you have a brand that pushes wellness advice and and put yourself up on a stage, then everything you say can be taken as wellness advice, especially if you're talking about something that is as controversially discussed as food and dieting habits. And of course, she was also, while she was on the podcast, she was hooked up to an IV and an IV Oh mm-hmm. boy. IV for me something is that you get in a hospital because you're sick. And she was like, yeah, I'm having this and that IV and that's my favorite IV. As if they were talking about a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bag involved, but yes. it's not chips. <laughs> that, that would not go down well. That's right. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I mean, we talked about harmfully puncturing skin they're actually taking IVs without medical reasons, which is like, yeah, this just just shows, like, I don't want to be too critical of rich people, but if you live in a country where diabetic people can't get their insulin because it's super expensive and not everyone is health covered, and then someone takes IVs with, like, vitamins or whatever for no reason except for not eating because they have disordered eating. No, sorry, I don't want to go in that rabbit hole, of course. It's like the eating disorders are a thing. And if it's medically important, then of course you should do it. I'm saying she's taken IVs without medical yes. reason. And, and it's a <laughs> practice that seems to be spreading. A lot yeah. of famous people are saying, oh, yes, yeah, I take yes. an IV. Like, it's like mm-hmm. in- instead of having yeah. a power snack or <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. crazy stuff Mm -hmm, exactly and yeah i don't want to talk about that too long because i could talk about this for hours and hours because um this is a topic close to my heart um to yeah use a lot of money (laughs) for things that you don't really need and also to glorify unhealthy eating habits and pushing diet culture on on her followers and on her children and on everyone involved But yeah, for doing all of that uh, that I mentioned before, Gwyneth Paltrow receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Ah, well deserved. Thank you. It is (laughs) indeed. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) And I just want to add, I looked it up while we were talking, Gwyneth is a Welsh name, but she (laughs) is not Welsh. So, there we go. And she's not well either, uh, apparently. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. Well... I'd like to introduce something. It's a new segment that we announced we would have on the show, and that is Word of the Week. (laughs) So I understand we've got our first Word of the Week, Pontus. Yes, we do. Actually, we have two. Okay. We have two proverbs in two different languages sent in by one person. So... (laughs) First one, I believe this person is uh, of uh, Hungarian origin, maybe speaks Hungarian as his first language, I'm not sure, because he's called Gabor. And we've con- we've found that before, <laughs> that everybody <laughs> everybody in Hungary is called Gabor. But <laughs> yes. regardless of that, 
we have a Slovakian <laughs> and a Hungarian proverb that we have been sent. And I will say that Gabor has not recorded this himself. He has taken help from Google. And that's fine. You can do that. But here is the first Slovakian proverb. It goes like this. Doveruj, ale preveruj. Doveruj, ale preveruj. I, I can't say that. <laughs> it, it, it's better if you listen to the, the recording. So apparently that means trust but verify. And that is a sort that's very skeptical. Mm-hmm. So you should trust in people, you should trust in things, but you also make sure that you verify them. That that's very important. Don't blindly trust, but be trustful. So I think that's that's a good good proverb. So let's do that. And um, just confirming that Gabor knows Hungarian, if that's mm-hmm. his first language or not, I'm not sure. He also sent in a Hungarian proverb. And it goes like this. And maybe we'll get some help from you, Andras, to, to decipher this. But this is how it sounds. So, yeah. can you repeat that, Andras? Do you know how Mi- it's pronounced? I thought so. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. But we usually just use a Jacques So we we don't even use the whole sentence usually. Ah, so 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 known that you don't you don't have to say the full thing. Yeah. So and it it means that yeah, it, it literally translation is every bag finds its patch, but the actual meaning is that everyone will find the right person, the right match of a person for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And so about love? Uh, it could be used about love, but it has a bit of a pejorative mm. connotation. Mm. So mm-hmm. this is why it could be a bit of a um, skeptical thing as well. For example, we did use it with the team of uh, medical workers and doctors who teamed up to deny the existence of a COVID pandemic. Mm. So these people got together thinking the same weird shit about something and we could use that expression for them as well that oh Jacques of mm. yeah <laughs> so these guys found each other because they were equally mm-hmm. crazy and and equally adamant in uh, promoting pseudoscience <laughs> yeah it could be used for that too mm-hmm. we actually mm. have one saying in german like that it's a uh, Jeder Topf findet seinen Deckel, or in English, every pot finds its lid. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, we, okay. we, we could use it with different versions mm-hmm. of that as well. But yeah. like pejorative we also have, and that is wie um, Arsch auf Eimer, <laughs> which translates to uh, like a butt on the bucket. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, like a butt on a yeah. bucket. But with two T's. Yeah. I, I don't get that uh, t- Think about metaphor. pooping. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. Pooping metaphors, I do understand. Now I get it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Okay, before we get completely carried away with uh, with these (laughs) proverbs and metaphors, yeah, thank you very much, uh, Gabor, for for sending these in. And thanks for sharing it with us, Pontus. Yeah, and and if anybody listening have similar things or a proverb or a word or something, please send it in at info at theesp.eu. And you can also send in something for what we call who's quacking. So if you've heard somebody say something very, let's put it mildly, interesting (laughs) from a skeptical point of view, 
especially if you have a recording of that. But if you don't have a recording, you can record it yourself and send it in to us and we will talk about that as well. Yeah, so the, the main point is to try to give an idea as, uh, to the, the lang- language diversity of Europe and how we use certain things in our own languages for probably the same things or how many different weird ideas are in circulation uh, that we don't even know about because of the very fact that they are in a different language. Yeah. So do share those with us and uh, we will make up regular things out of it but this basically concludes a show and that also means that we need a quote to finish on yes and this week's quote is by leonard euler uh, or as um, people from england english-speaking people pronounce him euler <laughs> He was born 1707, died 1783 and was, among other things, a mathematician and an astronomer, but also a lot of things more. And the quote is, Logic is the foundation of the certainty of all the knowledge we acquire. End quote. Right. That's why I tried to tell the students at uh, (laughs) Trollhättan Secondary School there that you you have to apply logic. Mm -hmm. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But be very rigorous and uh, be self-reflective as well. So apply your own logic to yourself and your ideas. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But that really concludes our show. Thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe By his, um, his, uh, mm. his highness. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. Towards the promotion of LBT. <laughs> L- <laughs> it's uh, the other. It's the other way in Swedish. You have the letters in the wrong order. Sorry. What's it in Swedish? And we don't. No, no, use don't it here confuse me. Don't confuse. <laughs> I won't tell you because I'll get confused and we'll never finish. Then how to Sorry. <laughs> Putin, 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 because he's Putin. Is that how it's Putin. pronounced? I think it's Putin. Okay, Putin, Putin. Uh, I don't. I'm absolutely Vladimir happy to Putin. pronounce it wrongly. <laughs> <I think. laughs>
Okay. Um, but she is. Might have Welsh. Her father was Polish and Belarus Jewish. I seem to be misinformed. So, yeah. So, like, she does have. Oh, European yeah. Her roots. father's Ashkenazi Jewish family emigrated from Belarus and yeah, Poland. But that's her father. That's not really yeah. like the she does have roots. While her mother has Pennsylvania Dutch as well as some Irish and English ancestry. Ah, there okay. we go. I knew I was Okay, okay. So she's European by uh okay. by she descent. Has European yeah. ties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> sorry, Luna just came in. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> Yes, 